Welcome to another on-the-job training tidbit. In this episode, we're going to be covering tower crane and self-erecting tower crane. We'll start off talking about legislation. Part of operating a tower crane, or any crane for that matter, is understanding what it is that we're working with, and the main thing is hazards and risks. We need to understand what is a hazard and what is a risk. So what is a hazard? A situation or thing that could cause harm. And what is a risk? The likelihood and a consequence of a hazard causing harm. The easiest way to remember is when you talk about the difference between a hazard and a risk. If you have a faulty tower crane, is that a hazard or a risk? It's a hazard. The reason being is that nothing's happened yet. That's what makes it a hazard. It's a situational thing that could cause harm. Therefore, what are the risks? Well, because that hazard exists, being a faulty tower crane, you can have all sorts of things come from that. So the consequences and likelihood are, well, you could have unsafe operation, you could have potential failure of the crane, injury and death, and then how likely is that to happen? All the way from going to happen in the next five minutes to very well could happen within the next week. So that's the difference between a hazard and a risk. As a high-risk license holder, we also have a principle in the Act called the duty of care. What are the easiest things or what are two ways we can describe the duty of care in its simplest form? Cause no harm to yourself and cause no harm to others through error, act or omission. If you are found to be working unsafely on site, what are three actions a workplace health and safety regulator can take against you and your high-risk work license? They can cancel the license, they can suspend the license, they can order uh, retraining or reassessment, and they can issue penalty units. In order for us to work safely, we need to be able to source safety information. So what would be documented sources we could refer to to get safety information? Remember SAC, Safe Work Method Statements, Australian Standards and Codes of Practice. In order to keep employees and members of the public safe, employers need to provide three things. What would they be? Remember safe, safe, safe. Safe systems of work, safe plant and structures, and a safe work environment. If you were completing an unfamiliar task, what additional things must an employer provide? Remember SIT, supervision, instruction, and training. When starting work on a new site, we need to be able to become familiar with particular information on site. So who would be three people we can consult with to understand additional site information? Remember SOS, safety officer, other workers and supervisors. And what are they able to tell us? Site specific hazards, policies and procedures. When would we need to check our PPE? 
before we start the task. When we go to work on a site that has a tower crane, what would be some common hazards that we might find? So it gets you know difficult when someone says give me six or give me nine hazards or something like that. It's always important. I, I try to tell people just put yourself that you're standing on site and picture the site around you. And then the easiest way for this one is to think about three up, three out and three down. So if we look up, common hazards would be power lines, weather and buildings. If we looked out, we might see plant, vehicles, pedestrians, obstructions and buildings. If we look down, we would have underground services, uneven ground, perhaps recently backfilled trenches and that type of thing. So it's very easy to come up with uh, multiple things if you just picture in your mind where you're doing it and what you're trying to achieve. So in Queensland, we have minimum safe working distances to power lines and different voltages. What would be the three minimum safe working distances from power lines? three meters six meters and eight meters if i needed to work closer than those minimum safe distances how could i achieve this insulating isolating or using qualified spotters what would be visual indicators that uh, the power companies can install uh, to warn operators and, and construction workers that there are power lines in the area tiger tails and marker balls and flagging or the uh, look up and live people made out of the core flute. Once we've considered all of our hazards and controls, what are five other things that we'd need to consider and plan for to ensure safe operations? So not hazards, just five other things. Remember place, permits, locations, access, communications and equipment. So if we're operating on site and the wind picks up, what would be two conditions that might happen if it, the conditions become windy? What are, what are two things that might happen? We could have load swing, load spin and perhaps uncontrolled movement. Where would I find on the crane the maximum wind velocity that the crane can be operated in? In the load chart, in the manufacturer's specifications, or the operator's manual. When operating a tower crane on site, what are some control measures that we can implement to protect the safety of pedestrians, other workers on site, and vehicles and mobile plant? Traffic controllers, barricades and signage, and exclusion zones. Why would it be unsafe to suspend loads or the rigging over people? Because it could cause serious injury or death. How would we minimise boom deflection when landing loads? Touch the load to the ground and slowly boom down. What do we need to provide if we're operating at night or in darkened areas? adequate lighting. All right, before we plan to do lifts, let's just say we've turned up on site and they want us to do a series of lifts. What are some things we need to think about or take into account in order to do those lifts safely? 
So we might think about size of loads, weights of loads, obstructions, preventing access for others or providing safe access around for others, and also the ground conditions. Let's talk about weights. So prior to lifting the load, what are the three ways we can determine the weight of a load? Remember run DMC, delivery docket, marked on the load, or calculated. Who's responsible or whose job is it to let the crane operator know what the load weights are? The dogger or rigger? And what's the crane operator's responsibility then? To ensure they remain on chart. Talking about communication, what are the three ways the dogger and or rigger can communicate with a crane operator? Hand signals, whistles or two-way radios? And when is it appropriate to use each of those communication methods? So hand signals only when in direct line of sight. Whistle signals when out of sight but within hearing range. And two-way radios when out of sight, out of hearing range and it's also the preferred method. What are the two reasons that we check our communication equipment prior to using them? To make sure they're operating correctly and that you have clear communication between the two points. Before we start operating, we need to get the logbook out. And what would be three things that we need to check for in the logbook? So the main thing we check for is defects and repairs also that it's the correct logbook for the crane and perhaps the service history. All right, what would be nine pre-start checks that we make on a, a tower crane? So pre-start checks, like I said, when you're put on the spot and you're asked to come up with multiple things like this, like nine of this or 10 of that, it gets quite complex. So the first thing I want you to understand is the difference between a pre-start and a post-start. So a pre-start check is basically anything that you check prior to the power being applied to the crane. So we're looking at structural things. Now, if you picture yourself that you're standing next to a tower crane, what would you do on the start of the climb to the end of the climb? We can look at the base bolts or the hold down bolts, ensuring that the base is secure and level we could look at towers we could look at ladder rungs we could look at personnel cages around the towers or back scratches platforms pins retaining pins rust corrosion the list goes on so as you're climbing you just picture you're climbing up the tower crane now you could uh, once you get to the top of the slew ring you could look for greasing and lubrication you could look at the rope lay on the drums ensuring that all your pennant bars are connected that your cab's secure to the crane your counterweights are in place and they look stable you've got the correct number of counterweights the list is really endless when you start thinking about it Okay, um, if it was a diesel or a crane, so it's got a big motor up there, you could then start looking at fluids, engine fluid, battery fluid, hydraulic fluid, uh, radiator fluid. It's just, it really becomes easy when you start picturing yourself around a crane. Okay, so we, one thing that should be checked as part of your pre-start is making sure that you've got your load charts and your data place in place 
and that they're readable or legible. So why is it so important for us to have the, the data plates and the load charts uh, legible? So that the operator can understand the capabilities and capacities of the crane. So what would be five structural defects that we would look for on a crane? We might look at cracks, bends, twists, visible rust that isn't surface rust, so we're looking for pitting. We could have flaking paint, loose bolts, missing pins, uh, cut lacings or damage to the lacings, um, any of those types of things. So, okay, you've basically started your pre-start and you've found a defect or a fault with the crane. What steps, what five steps would you need to take if that happens? Remember the acronym STIRRIT, S-T-I-R-R-R. Stop, tag out, isolate, record and report. So if we did come across a crane that had a tag on it, when can an out-of-service tag be removed or when can that tag be taken back off? When a competent and authorised person has deemed the crane safe or repaired. What would be nine operational checks or post-starts that we could conduct on a crane prior to use? So now we've got the power turned on, what would be things we could check now? Once again, picture yourself, you've sat down in the seat, powered the crane up, what can we check? Well, e-stop, starts, horn, slew functions, and you could even say slew left function, slew right function, trolley function, luff function, hoist function, hoist limits, trolley limits, outer limits, inner limits, down limits, up limits, speeds, computers, load indicators, wind indicators, radius indicators, brakes, like warning systems and devices. You really can check everything. Check your two-way radio. So just once again, Picture yourself, you're in the seat doing your post-op checks and it should really be easy to come up with uh, nine things off the top of your head. All right, so how do we confirm that the crane's load computer is functioning correctly? What are the things that we need to do to check that load computer? So you pick up a known weight and you compare it to the load chart. If at any time during the operational checks you hear strange or abnormal noises, what do you need to do? Stir it. Stop, tag, isolate, record, report. So the crane has many safety features. One of them is the hoist limits. What could happen is, uh, what happens if you go over your hoist limits? Damage to the crane, damage to the ropes, you could two block the crane and you could even have the, the hook block fall off. All right, let's talk about test lifts. What are the three reasons that we do a test lift? We've got a little acronym for four, so remember SSCH. Stability of the crane, security of the load, centre of gravity, and hitchhikers. 
If we go for our test lift and notice that the load comes up not correct or on the piss or not slung correctly, what do we need to do? Stop, lower, re-sling and recheck with another test lift. What can happen if we drag or snig the load? So if we allow the load to get snigged or dragged, what can happen? We can potentially overload the crane, we can damage the crane or the load, and we can also affect the crane stability. Why does a crane operator need to constantly monitor the load when they're lifting? To look for and monitor and control hazards. If we use a dog box or a personnel um, box with a crane, where do the doggers need to be, the dogger or the rigger that's in control of that dog box? In the work box? If at any time when you're operating a tower crane you receive a signal from the dogger that's unclear or you don't know what it was, what do you need to do? Stop, reconfirm and then continue. And if you've got an issue with the communication systems, get that sorted. Where would I find information about the WLL or my load limit of my crane hook? Stamped on the hook. What is the risk of the rope not sitting correctly in the sheave? Damage to the rope or damage to the sheave? What's the main risk of um, rope lube or rope grease building up in our sheave? Dislodging the rope. If the hook block has been wound the maximum number of turns around a drum, in other words, we've hooked all the way up, how much of the drum flange should remain exposed? Two rope diameters or manufacturer specs. With the rope all the way down, so in other words, we've roped all the way down, how many full turns of rope must remain on the drum? Two turns or manufacturer specifications. What can we fit to the tail projection or to the little bit of uh, flexible steel wire rope that sticks out of a hand bone or the wedge and socket? Bulldog cramp or bulldog grip? And why do we fit one of those grips? So that we can monitor slippage of the rope through the wedge and socket. Okay, if you're operating a tower crane and you happen to come into contact with power lines, what are the five things that need to be done in that situation? So you immediately stop, break contact if possible, warn others in the area, remain in the crane if safe to do so, and tag out and report the crane for inspection. So there are two kind of forces that we deal with when we are operating tower cranes. We have dynamic force and wind force. So what is dynamic force? So dynamic force is additional force created by the movement of the crane and or load. Therefore, what is wind load? Wind load is additional force created by wind hitting the crane or the load. 
We'll move on to load charts. So what would be five things that I could locate or five bits of information I could locate in a load chart? So we've got block weights, radiuses, we've got line pool, capacities uh, for various configurations, uh, boom configurations, counterweight configurations, boom angles, rope falls, all sorts of information, wind ratings. Um, there's a whole heap of information we can find in a load chart. Um, so when we are talking about load charts and we do talk about operating radius, what does the term operating radius refer to? So operating radius is two things. Operating radius is a known or specified weight that can be safely lifted. And the second part is a given distance. And that distance is from the slew ring to the hook position. So it's not just the amount we can lift and it's not just the distance. We need to know that it's definitely the amount of weight we can lift at a given radius measured from the center of the slew ring to the hook position. Okay, prior to lifting a load, what do we need to look at or think about to make sure that we're staying on chart for that lift? The weight of the load and the operating radius. If, we don't, if we're attempting to lift a load and the precise radius that we're at, let's say it's 11.7 metres and we don't have 11.7 metres on our load chart, do we go to the higher radius being 12 or the lower radius of either 10 or 11 metres? We use the longer radius and why do we do this? To put in a safety margin or, um, you know, it basically derates us because if we go the longer radius, it's telling us we can lift slightly left. Therefore, we know that we're going to be safe and as long as we're under the longer radius as capacity, we're definitely going to be able to achieve that lift. All right, last subject, we're going to talk about the shutdown procedure of a crane. So if we're going to be leaving a crane unattended and it's for overnight or a long period, what are some things that we need to ensure we've done? So we need to make sure that we've got no loads on the hook, that we've raised the hook to a safe height, usually right up to the limit, that the crane has been put into weather vane mode so that it will turn around with the weather conditions. We need to either isolate the controls or definitely isolate the mains power to the crane and make sure that we prevent access or secure the crane. So if we are shutting down a tower crane and it has a remote control, and it's not just self-erectors, we've also got plenty of tower cranes around with remote controls now, what needs to happen to the remote control for the crane? So it must be secured and locked away in a safe location so it can't be controlled. Um, whenever we're leaving a crane in weather vane, why do we need to make sure that the hook is clear of any obstructions in a 360 degree radius? So it's not just clear of where it is. You have to picture that the hook's high enough that if the crane does a full 360, it's not going to hit anything. Why do we do that? So that the hook remains clear of any obstructions or buildings and it can't hit anything during the night. And finally, what would be some checks that we complete on a tower crane after we've completed our operations?
So we basically just do the, the pre-start again. We'd look at any obvious signs of damage or defects that have happened throughout the operation. We'd go over and check all our fluid levels again. If it was a diesel, we could make sure that nothing's come loose, no pins have come out of bolts, um, make sure that it's in weather vane, check that everything's clear of obstructions, checking that all the controls have been neutral, the crane's been isolated, and uh, yeah, basically follow any manufacturers or site-specific instructions for that crane. So that concludes our tower crane and self-erecting tower crane podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Basically, hopefully you can keep up with how quick I'm asking the questions. If you can't, just listen to it over and over again. And um, yeah, as soon as you can keep up, you know that you're ready for assessment. (laughs) Cheers.